Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Sherry. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts, here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts. About the millennial. I can't say millennial. I can't. Like, here's the thing. We're, we're really, like, we're we're going to be frozen in time. Like, we have to encompass people younger than millennials, even though Zoomer we culture are is often, millennial Like, culture. I mean, like, we do, we, we do skew millennial lifestyle, but we are broadly about weird stuff on the internet. And also popular things, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like... The better parts of nerd culture. You know, hopefully we've reached out culture. and touched you as yeah. well. You know? Yeah. And Pass an offering plate around. <laughs> you know, we need to build and fund. To help. I don't you know, know how much money they think I got. They keep passing around like that. They gonna come up short. <laughs> What's that from again? I forget. I forget. I yeah, I don't know what yeah, stand-up special I Yeah. Uh, like... Uh, oh, but no. anyway, we, we are talking... Not specifically about the millennial lifestyle, though, you know, indirectly about it today. Um, Wait, no, I want to, I think The Last of Us, definitely. Like, come on, game comes out 2014, part of the millennial canon. Millennials own The Last of Us, for sure. Maybe the show, obviously, is like a different thing. And we're talking about the show. I like these strictures, you know. know. But we are talking, we're talking about the, we're talking about the show. We're talking about The Last of Us. Right. Y'all should have seen like episode six by now, because this episode is out on Wednesday, right? This episode, yeah. this podcast, sorry. Is out I Wednesday. mean, like, you know, Spoil is about to come for that story that is 10 years old. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the, we, you probably will have watched episode six by the time this comes out. And I think here's the thing, right? It's like, Micah, this is... Sound only is like a high level podcast. Like I know Ava, when we did the Ava series. I mean, we didn't even do that episode by episode. We did batches. But certainly for The Last of Us, like this is not, we're not even doing episode recap talk. We're going to have like a high level conversation about The Last of Us. Because I think the two of us, right, is people, especially who have like a relationship with the original game, 
um, and have, you know, kept pace with the show, have a lot of thoughts about the, the interviews of Neil Druckmann, <laughs> um, the life of times of Neil Druckmann. Like, I, we, I feel like we both have thoughts. We maybe are in a very different headspace about The Last of Us. I'll say cards on table in the beginning. I actually really like this show and feel mild, mildly defensive of it. I think maybe from a place of thinking of, like, I guess my sort of definitive take that will guide me in this episode is that The Last of Us is the show that Station Eleven thought it was and should have been, honestly. Sure. That's where I'm okay. at. Where are you at? Cars on the table before we really get into it. Cars on the table, I think that I am a little curmudgeonly about it because of, I guess, like the state of, just because like the state of video games and on top of like Mm. this, 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 the show being, you know, based on a story that was created with movie pretensions. And then the first episode of it was an hour and a half long, which is not a TV show. Like this is like, it's, it's everything that, we've come to think is sort of wrong with television, but executed very well. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that. that's, that's how I feel about the show. Um, I, I think that's fair. Right? There, there, oh. There's a larger waste of an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think even though it always sounds petty when anyone does the, the episodes are too long complaint, it remains valid. I'm sorry. Write your complaints to soundonlypod at gmail.com, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. But the show to me, I, I think maybe that's true of the first episode. I remember the the Offerman episode, right? That's like, that's like 45. It's like 50 minutes, right? You know? Oh, I mean, to- like, I, I, I'm not, like, the length of the things is not my, like, summary issue with the show. It's more so that I think that I still want the story itself to be finished and this is slowing Matt down. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's and, right. you know, um, I don't know. This is just sort of like a weird direction that television is sort of going in. Uh, not that, like, you know, I think that single consumer choice is going to affect that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, like, I just I feel frosty towards it for those reasons. Yeah. If we can sort of like, like, if we just sort of address the essence of The Last of Us, right? Like, whether we're talking about the show or the video game, what is The Last of Us, right? It is zombie apocalypse story, but with big feelings, big sentimentality, big dad core, protective, paternal, you know tender masculinity oh, thing. That's absolutely what the game is. terrified of my own feelings. Yeah, yeah. this is... It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, I think it's... Yeah, like, uh, like this is... I'm sure that, you know, like, this has been pointed out time and again, but, like, the difference in between the way that Pedro Pascal plays the character and Troy Baker plays the character yeah. in the game is that, like, there is... By this stage, like, when they have, like, you know, gotten to Kansas City, encountered the Hunters, etc. Like, Joel 
has warmed enough to enjoy Ellie like being a kid mm-hmm. with Sam. Yeah. And Pedro Pascal is like s- just bubbling the entire time. Like, I mean, like, it's just, he's just like, we are wasting time. Like, he greets everything, you know, like every sort of, he plays the character with the, like, flatly with the frustration of like when, on like a long road trip, like when your dad saw a car that he passed passes passes him on the highway. Like <laughs> yeah, it's like it's yeah, that yeah, exact so kind good. of frustration. That's so good. Yes, I agree. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> the absolute specificity on that boy. Um, no, that's totally right. Is but I like that though. I'm. Do you prefer the Troy Baker performance to the? I don't know. I don't think I prefer one to the other. I think I'm just sort of chafed that they're two, you know? <laughs> yeah, instead of a unified performance, for sure. I think, yeah. though, I, I would also say that I think that this is, it's both Pascal and Ramsey, right? Because I think also Bella Ramsey, I, I don't remember finding Ellie as sort of stylistically annoying in the game as I think. Bella Ramsey intentionally I'm not saying that I think I I think it's a good performance but it's like I think Bella Ramsey really kind of plays up the precociousness bit of Ellie and she is like kind of aggressively annoying yeah it's like I'm warm to it but it's yeah so it's like that dynamic you're describing with Joel being kind of like more of an asshole or more of a kind of like yeah i mean like it is we're splitting hairs on like you know sort of like on covers of the same song like you know by you know different punk bands like it's it's very like you know oh i think that new york dolls played i gotta write by the stooges a little too fast and angry like it's very (laughs) like bella ramsey I think, like, you know, we've said this before, like, her her M65 jacket and, mm-hmm. you know, and can responses about, dude, uh, like, it's just <laughs> yeah, very, like, it's just very Gen X-y, you know? Yeah, and it is, it is. I think that, like, yeah, by contrast, like, the Ellie in the games feels, like, precocious. And, like, sort of as if, like, I think that you are allowed to be surprised by how tough she is in the game. And then like, this is like, Oh, I have to build on that performance somehow. Yeah. Um, And take it into a different direction because people already know the character. It's sort of like this, this, this show that exists exactly in this, within this nexus of like, non-criticism where it's just like it's just like the the actors are being asked to do just too much and like the show the the show has to achieve or accomplish you know like just one too many things and like and you can't really say that um the thing isn't original you can't say you can't really make you know like too many nitpicks about the originality of the thing because you you know like it's it does so well at reproducing exactly what gamers want which is more of the thing that they already had i guess 
maybe that cyclical nature is what's chafing me so much. Really? Hmm. I, I don't know. I, there's there's certainly elements of that. I mean, I guess inherent in doing this show in the first place. But I think of, okay, when you talk about the stuff that feels more endemic to the... I think, the, okay, here's... All right, so actually, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, let me ask you this question. Like, okay. is there something that you've been genuinely surprised by in the show outside of the... Um, outside of the uh, Bill and Frank episode. No, I was about to bring that up, right? And it's like, yeah, you're right. Outside of that, no, right? Like, in terms and of I, execution, not just in terms of, like, content being different, right? You're asking about right. something about the execution of this that's like, huh, you know? Where you're like, oh, this is a good show. Like, this is, like, uh, like I didn't, I wasn't really expecting like this kind of like this level of execution this level of like you know flourish or whatever i would say if you're if you're taking long or is it more of a steady episode three it's a no it is a steady eddie but i don't think it's fair to take episode three off the table well like i would say that if anything it's episode three right it's bill and frank it's long long time and i think that's the thing like when you talk about what about this show is endemic to the state of television and the state of prestige television or however we want to narrow this down. It's like, I can kind of see, I I feel like I've seen some disagreement over episode three, right? Bill and Frank, which is like, I like it. I frankly like it. It's like the kind of thing that I should be sitting here being like, this is too much of every sort of like, every kind of hackneyed instinct of prestige television to sort of, like really just try to like extract empathy from me and be this kind of like and yet it acquits itself yeah it acquits itself well like i just i i found it to be just like a genuinely heartfelt effective tender beautiful well textured 75 minutes of television right i just i liked it you know what i mean and it is a thing where it's like oh yeah hmm if if nothing else so far, it's like, even if The Last of Us, even if I could always just go back and play The Last of Us, the game, I do think even just that one episode is something you could take away as kind of like your calling card for why it's good that the show exists too, right? Is episode three. Um, but yeah, sure. Outside of that, I mean, we can even talk more about episode three, but it's like, sure. So far outside of episode three, yeah, I, I'm not looking at it and being like, wow, this this show really kind of stands out on its own. It's more of a steady eddy. It's more of a thing where it's like, I don't know, the thing I kind of really like and respect about the show is that as much as I look at the game as this kind of sweaty, desperate, chip-on-its-shoulder prestige thing, the thing about the show, weirdly, is that it feels like it's primarily concerned in a way that a lot of prestige TV, frankly, isn't with just being like a reliably good television show, right? Like the thing that annoyed me, because again, it's like the point of comparison, right? In, in Station Eleven, right? That's a show that to me just felt up its own ass after a point and felt like it it knew it was kind of burdened with reinventing television on the fly and like, you know, escalating your expectations for what the quote unquote medium can do and all of that (laughs) shit. And you end up with this just like galaxy brain nonsense that is a lot of the execution in that show. 
And it's like, yeah, I get if if people like the sentimentality, the tenderness, the sort of humanity of Station Eleven, but it it did have like, I don't know, it was kind of like oversaddled with like the bad version of anime bullshit in a lot of ways, and a lot of it felt like it was the show kind of outthinking itself and trying to throw the kitchen sink at the entire concept of prestige TV. Whereas like the cool thing about the last of us is that as pretentious as the original game might be in, in its context, like the show is just a good show. It's like a steady, good show. And it's kind of humble about what it's doing. I think relative to other shit, there is a humility said, in the show. That said, you did text me the other day. about. <laughs> A specific issue that you would like to raise about the show that you have so glowingly reviewed here on this podcast. Perhaps you'd like to share for posterity. Uh, I have a right against self-incrimination. Uh, no, we're talking about, okay, well, we could go to episode, this episode five, right? Like, Endure and Survive. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got to talk about this. Because I, I, episode five, for people who don't know, it's like, we meet this woman. What is her name? Kathleen. Kathleen. Can we talk about, let's talk about Kathleen. Can you set up Kathleen real quick, just like the the context for this character real quick? Um, Kathleen is the leader of the Kansas City faction of the Hunters. So in the video game, the Hunters actually have no leader. Like they're just kind of this... There's this mass of, like, you know, males aged 28 to 45 in sleeveless jean jackets, like, kind of throwing bricks through the window of your car and attempting to rob you. And Mm -hmm. their only real kind of directive is kill and control. They don't have, like, an organized philosophy. You know, they don't have leaders. They don't have figureheads. And in the show, Kathleen, who's played by Melanie Litsky, is kind of like the de facto leader of this uh of this faction of the Kansas City Hunter. And I'm saying faction because like there was a multiplayer like mode of The Last of Us release that like had factions that kind of more or less were had deeper explanations on like the lore of like these different groups of people armed you know, militia that popped up across like the the contiguous United States in the wake of the Cordyceps outbreak. So, anyway, leader of the Kansas City faction of the Hunters, uh, Kathleen, and she's the de facto leader because the original leader has been killed off before you know Joel and Ellie get there. Um, yeah. But, like, she's also introduced in episode three beforehand, just kind of, like, the cold introduction of her as the leader of, like, this band of, like, grizzled militiamen that also looked like they were ex-Navy SEAL. Like, the most serious group of, like, armed rebels we've seen thus far, led by, like... The office manager, like literally, this like she plays the Lizzie plays the character like the like the person that comes in and shouts about cleaning out the fridge. Like have this you, is have you ever been in like a Starbucks specifically at an airport where it's like the line is a little long, and you you you're inevitably behind a woman who when she gets to the counter is like just 
she's not necessarily shouting her order, but she's like stating it very kind of angrily in this sense of like, just don't fuck my order up. You know what I mean? No, I, I need I need it with the and it's just she's and it's like that. That is Kathleen. Kathleen is the woman in the Starbucks at Dallas Airport at six a.m. That's Kathleen. That this and it's like I okay one okay. You brought this up just so I wish it on the show a bit, and I will go on a little tear here. It's like mm-hmm. yes, I, this is one of those things where it's like yes, I get it. Like it's this is. It's a commentary I, no, 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 on no, circumstance. Don't don't just say that. Say <laughs> say the whole thing, which is that Neil Druckmann was just kind of like, yeah, I kind of wanted to like you know kind of show that you know there isn't just right and wrong in this in this post apocalyptic mm-hmm. world. You know, like there are people that cross purposes and you know people that want other things. But the setup here is that um, Henry. Uh, is protecting Sam. The mm-hmm. and Henry saves Sam from a you know bout of leukemia with life saving drugs. It's twenty thirty six people. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. All right. Yeah, yeah. And um, in order to kind of get these life-saving drugs from Fedra, he had to offer up something valuable in exchange, and all he had was information. On the original leader of the Kansas City faction of the Hunters. So that's what Henry did. This is why Kathleen wants Henry dead. And this is the thing that Joel and Ellie drop into. Right? This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Jedi are being murdered. On June 4th, Star Wars returns, only on Disney+. Plus. I didn't do it, believe me! She was my student. Let me be the one to bring her in. Now she is a student of the dark side. An acolyte. Star Wars The Acolyte. Two episode premiere June 4th, only on Disney+. And it's like, right. It, it's, it's sort of like a just super tense situation. She's only in this position because like the death of her brother, right? So it's like, it's all circumstance, man. It's all, everything is a powder keg. She's obviously not equipped to lead. It's it's like part of the point of the character is that she, she's the, she kind of talks like the office manager. She talks like the woman at the airport Starbucks. But it's like, there's this uncanny quality of this episode and it's all because of her performance where it's like, no, it's not her performance. I think when I texted you, I was complaining about the actress performance. 
I don't think it's that. I think it's like everybody in the episode. So all the men standing with like body armor on, the dude with the assault rifle who's just standing at attention talking to her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like every time she talks, she's talking in that super spicy voice of, again, restating her her Starbucks order for the third time. And she, like, keeps making these quips, these, like, really grim quips about, like, it's the famous one at the end of the episode about, like, kids die, like, every day. And she keeps saying shit like that. And it's like, it's like, I think it would work the idea of, like, no, that's the point. But it's just everybody in the episode that is tasked with being in a scene with her and Has reacting to no what she said. no idea that she's annoying. It's like yeah, there's no... It's like, it's so like there wild. is... Yeah, it, it really is like... And I mean... Everyone it could plays just, it straight. No, I mean, like, it's, it's so just strange. like, it could just very well be that Lisky wasn't given a lot to do. Like, you know, yeah. like this, it's very like... There were no like there were no female NPCs or enemies in the original in the original game due to like you know technical limitations or something. Every time yeah. they populated the you know they populated with female enemies, the game would break or something, you know, which they then rectified in the second game. Um, and Kathleen kind of like feels dropped in like and kind of it's very there's just so many things that are just like off like things that don't really like yes the the way that like the people respond to her these grizzled veterans that suggests that there's some sort of backstory there maybe they all grew up together and like they you know like you're one of us because we remember your brother yeah but it is like there are those quips. There is that sort of like entitlement with which she you know, she approaches everything. And also the thing that I keep thinking about is that one scene where they're standing next to the bunk bed in that one room, like, you know, the meeting of the heads of, you know, what's left of the liberation front. And it's her and Perry. And she's standing next to the window and you can see where the gun or sidearm holster is. And it's on the front of her leg, which I think, you know, like, I'm not like, it's, it's just feels, it's one of those details. No, be a good night. Be a good night. I'm just saying like, gun I'm talk. just saying like, wouldn't that double the draw time? Like, why is your, why is your sidearm holster on the front of your leg instead of where your hand would naturally rest? Like, it's, and like, I think it would just be the like show you that I have it like as I'm walking towards you. It's just sort of like things that like would not make sense. Like why would people follow this person? And it's like not things that this show has time to answer for all of its time to answer all the things that it would like to about other questions that people that are familiar with the story already have. When it does something new, it's not really that well developed. Yes. And I, listen, you, you tricked me into talking about this because you know I actually think, yeah, this episode, like, Endurance Survivor annoyed me. However, I would like to focus on the fact that this, like, Kathleen, that character, the problem is that, that, like, the execution of that character is too clever by half. But 
it ends up being to me like kind of the exception to the rule, right? Because to me, again, to go back to shitting on Station Eleven for no reason, it's like Station Eleven is a show Catch full of Kathleen's. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, uh, ca- like Station Eleven is a show full of Kathleen's. Like at least Kathleen is the only yeah, Kathleen-like object the in The Last of Us. Yeah. Station Eleven is like, what if the entire, what if an entire television show was Kathleen? Right. Sometimes so I can, only I can Kathleen. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can forgive Kathleen. Also, I don't know that I buy maybe the thing always about Kathleen. in the original game. What what they couldn't do female ca- that sounds like, I, like some, listen, man. I don't buy that dog. It's, I don't, I don't listen, know, bro. Man, it's the way not my like, bank account is set it's, up, it's not like that kind of explanation. <laughs> <laughs> the way my checking the account's set up. The way it's set up, you know, like uh um, you yeah, got a wire listen. transfer. You got to go to the uh, the Western Union. Yo, you're going to have to talk cards. to Billy about that, man, because we uh, we'll sound like John ja Rule explaining something <laughs> about wire fraud. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is anyway. Um, they didn't just, they didn't just like correct for it in the sequel in The Last of Us 2. They like, they put like a super lesbian built like yeah, Nemesis. They put, like, <laughs> she, uh, well, like, you know, her sexuality is more complicated than that. Abby yeah. is built like a linebacker. Like, I, the like damn it tyrant. Is, it's crazy. <laughs> Doug. Yeah, Doug, listen. What are her macros in that game? Like, like she I got stopped. the veins on her biceps. It's really like, they're like, yo, she, like they want you to know that, yes, Abby could actually do that with a golf club. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> um... But I don't know. Like I, I do think that yes, endurance survival notwithstanding. Uh, we actually got a listener email complaining about the bloater. Can we talk about the bloater? So like, yes, okay. So it moves like a <laughs> like it moves like a, they they must have mocapped a gorilla or they ma- yeah. they made it like they made it like a humanoid King Kong type thing. Yeah, yeah, and like. I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get this wrong about exactly how bloaters come to be in the game, but like it is the idea that like a bunch of infected are, you know, cramped in a small dark space and like they congeal and like it's like the it's the next stage of infection where like the infection becomes like armor plating and like but the way they move around the game is like much slower and then like it's sort of like the movement of the bloaters of the game, I guess, is sort of like almost like an alligator in nature where it's kind of like I am going to stay until I'm right in range and then I move really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it wasn't like, it would have been different if the bloater kind of like staggered out and then like it did in the game, pulls one of the things off his back and throws it like a grenade. Um, but yeah, like, I guess, like, I do understand the complaints. Actually, and while we're on the bloater, can we talk, because both on the bloater and Endurance Survive, one thing I, I found myself paying a lot of attention to is how the infected move in groups, right? And what do we think about their weird flash mob? Because you know what I mean, like that thing they do where they do this sped up, this sped up shots of them. It, I I don't know that I I don't know that I like that, or I don't know. It feels weird to me. 
Yeah, but this is also kind of just a consequence of being a part of the zombie genre. Yeah, like, yeah. but it's it's also a consequence of them changing the nature of the way the infection spreads and also yeah. the way it functions like that as if there's a central nervous system somewhere. Right. Right. No, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I can give it that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess the other thing I'm thinking about watching the show. So another thing I did, by the way, like listeners, we we talked, I think, at the top of Mandalorian season two about the Mandalorian, which is the other, you know, Pascal thing. And it's like, I don't know. You think about those shows, right? Last of Us, Mandalorian, they're both basically escort missions, right? Like they're both, they're just escort missions, right? Lone Wolf and Cub, Resident Evil 4, Ashley Graham, Leon Kennedy. Tale as old as time. Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, and there's something about, I don't know, like, I was thinking about how, like, I, I, I had whiplash going from sort of catching up on The Last of Us to then going back and watching sort of the rest of season two of The Mandalorian and kind of just the differences in Pascal's performance and how, I don't know, there's something about Mandalorian season two where Pascal is, like, forcing himself to be he's he's taking the baby yoda shit super serious like super serious in a way that i do not remember being an issue and i i thought season one of the mandalorian was honestly pretty funny like all the all the comic relief with like there were hijinks yeah Yeah. hijinks and then it's like season two randomly is like super sincere right and i don't know like the last of us i think the thing you were describing earlier about it being, what is it, a steady Eddie, right? It's like, I don't know. I just feel like these characters get to be, like, it just feels like a good, the show is just a good hang, right? Which is like that, more than anything else about the show, is what is surprising to me. Because everything about The Last of Us is depressing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, if if you ask people what they like about the original game, right? It's like, it's almost the way people talk, like, talk about Ava, right? It's like, oh, this shit's super depressing. It's super dark. It's super sad, you know? And then I feel like Last of Us 2 kind of goes overboard for a lot of people with that stuff. But it, like, hits this sweet spot of, like, being this really affecting, depressing story. And also scary for some people, right, in the original game. Um, and I, I, I definitely get that. But, like... You know, it's like the darkness of the original game and also, again, that kind of literary aspiration that Druckmann has always had about the original game. Both of those things should have conspired to make this show less of just a a straightforwardly fun hang than it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, that, that sort of, like forced sincerity or like forced perspective of like, you know, where you're sort of like, you have to get into the self-seriousness of the show. Yeah. Um, I guess it's like, you know, all right, to, to make a, to leap to the quantum universe, you know, I recently saw Ant-Man quantum mania and the first, two movies in the Ant-Man trilogy, like they su- they succeed because of like the scale, which is small. Like they mm-hmm. succeeded, like, I mean, I'm, I was thinking watching Quantumania 
uh, they bring back Corey Stoll, like uh, as Modoc in in the movie, and there's a sort of like final pitch confrontation involving him and all the refugees of the quantum realm descending on you know the Kang fortress and uh you know Scott Lang and Cassie are the size of skyscrapers and Hope Van Dyne is flying in and shooting and all this other stuff and it's like it's this really large conflict in this impossible looking place and and then I remember like in that moment that the final conflict of the first day of that movie like took place in a child a childhood bedroom and they were mm-hmm. swinging like hot wheel tracks at each other <laughs> it was like i like the 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 movie was like so low stakes like it's just a it's like it's a it's a low stake heist with like a bunch of people that don't have a lot of skill like there's michael pena there's ti like they have that little office comedy going on where they complain about only having oatmeal packets to have for breakfast you know and Scott is Paul Rudd is on house arrest and the second movie like they do some more movie magic stuff where they're shrinking the building down and carrying it with them and you know they go down to the quantum realm and it feels you know like this sort of it's just a plot device but it's actually exploring it and looking at it I have time to think about how drab it looks and like the fact that Hollywood set designer's idea of space hasn't changed since like 2001 when the Phantom Menace came out. It just has better cameras and I guess like, you know, more costume budget. I don't know. But like, it feels too big a movie for Ant-Man. Like, it's it's supposed to, like, Ant-Man is supposed to be you know, funny and a little bit of a, like a little bit of a joke. Like, it's just like, there is, he's, he's supposed to be in on the joke and like having him opposite the next thing that's supposed to launch the next wave of Marvel movies yeah. and give us what the idea of the future is supposed to be like is too big a task for this, this character, this property, whatever. Mm-hmm. Because that's not what made Ant-Man good or fun. Uh, so yeah, I mean like it's, and, and, and like the central story is about that sort of like fake deep, what would you do if like, you know, uh, you were put over a barrel and like, you know, on one side there's your family and on the other side there's the world or whatever. It's just sort of that sort of answering of the question again. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing that James Cameron needs to do at the end of his three-hour movie, so he can—it's <laughs> the same shit, you know. Like, and I think that maybe that's what your issue is, like with the Mandalorian, which I think went downhill as soon as they introduced the Baby Yoda. Like, the, like they always kind of undercut themselves and make themselves small, and when these stories would otherwise be distinct and really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, this is sort of let, let's can we go back to the last of us for just one more moment? Sure. Because we kind of we kind of kind of rushed over talking about episode 3. And I 
there, there's something about episode three that almost feels like uh, it's obvious, right? It's on the nose, right? Do this, re- do this love story. This unlikely everything is gay romance. Straight, yeah. It's like yeah. everything is proceeds exactly as you imagine it would for the moment. Bill takes Frank out of the hole. Yeah. Yes. Right. And even the way it's shot and like the, you know, it's like the tenderness of the lighting, the scene at the piano, the fact that this nigga has a, he spawns infinite Beaujolais, I want to point out. He never runs out. I wish they explained that shit. Um, How many bottles were in the wine shop? (laughs) They were there for 30 years, you know, like it's, that's crazy. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's like sometimes the sometimes the best and the worst ideas are the ones where you're just like, it's the execution of it is kind of so obvious. But it's obvious in that way of like, not obvious in the way of I wish I'd thought of that because it's not like either of us is writing a television show. But it's sort of you resent how kind of down the middle it hits you, right? But I don't know, man. I just... I. I was talking to other people about it. I won't even name who it is, but I was talking to other people about it. They're just like, I don't know. It's just so corny. And it's like, yeah, but it's corny, but in this kind of shameless, just sort of straightforwardly romantic way that, I don't know. I like that. Like the episode In the way me, that genre films can be. Like it is a genre. Yeah. Like it's like, this is... It felt unburdened. Is, yeah, like, I mean... When Creed 3 comes out, there will be no illusions about, you know, us learning something about ourselves when we're Mm -hmm. watching it. (laughs) What you're excited about is that Michael B. Jordan said, and, you know, like, he's getting to be behind the director's chair for something, him talking about, Mm -hmm. oh, I watched Sajime no Ipo when I was, you know, like, choreographing the fight scene. Yeah, Yeah. like, so it's just like, all right, cool. I can get with that. Yeah. But, like, the first Creed movie was good because it just played the hits like mm-hmm. the, the, the it's the moment where you what we're like your gangster decomposes and the third act when he's sitting in the in the rings we sit in ringside talking to his quarter man and he's just like i gotta prove it that i'm not a mistake and like the ludwig van Gorn's strings build up and then drop out at the exact right moment mm-hmm. like if you don't cry there's you know like there's you know you didn't go to see a movie you know, you didn't go there to have an experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just that, like, there's, there is, I like, feeling duped by something that just hits the right procession of emotional notes mm-hmm. is, like, a real feeling. The okie But it's also, like, yeah, but it's also kind of, like, you got to be really skilled to hit them right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's easy to take that shit for granted. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that, that's the defensiveness I feel about the Bill and Frank episode is that. I, I think it's just really easy to take for granted how that show is, how that how that episode is as effective as it is. I don't know. You know what I mean? And like just the lasting impression of that final shot of the episode being just, I don't know, man. Like, that's just good television. That That's one of those things where I will like get up out the chair and not be too cool for school. And I will just be like, no, that was actually really good. And again, to to the to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, right? It's like, if nothing else from this show, even though I do think this show is, I wouldn't call it conservative in its sort of relation to the original game, but definitely, right, it's not Conservative in the, the sense wheel. of, like, other television. 
you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I do think at least that episode felt like, okay, yeah, this this series was a worthwhile endeavor rather than just kind of, man, we're just going to keep milking The Last of Us for another decade. Naughty dog. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, this is like, this is a sound only conversation where I was, uh, very largely positive about something, except for the part where Micah made me say negative things about episode five and oh, the negative thoughts that you already woman. had about <laughs> episode five at the show. Oh, do ah, I do declare, ah. Micah? Do you have anything else? Do we have anything else? Um, no, I don't know that we do. When it's Cre- we'll do a Creed. Are we doing a Creed three episode? We'll probably get to a Creed. We'll three do a Creed episode. episode. I'm yeah. a, I'm, might even get in shape for it. You know what I mean? I might do some shoves. <laughs> um, might might do some planks. Might do some burpees. Might do some all. You know everything else. My boxing trainer used to make me do. Um, listeners, feedback, questions, anything you want to talk about. Sound only pot at gmail.com. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Mike Peters. I like The Last of Us. Shouts out to our producer, Stefan Anderson. We'll see y'all next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.